Oh, man, we're glad to be here and uh, be back off the road. I don't know how many people drove for hours and hours and hours because of Thanksgiving, but my family did. And uh, at least one of us also brought back the Kentucky virus. Um, so Abby is at home with that and it's not running out of her face. Um, so that's just what's happening. And so uh, she's still beautiful. She's just got a lot of snot coming out. Uh, so yeah, um, we're super glad you guys are here. S super glad that you survived Thanksgiving. I uh, hope it was good to spend time with family. And uh, I know a lot of people are still on the road and they haven't made it back yet. So hopefully we'll see them next Sunday. Hey, I did want to toss this out there before we get to the announcement time. Um, we get to do something for the first time in Origins history this year. Um, and we get to have service on Christmas Day. Let me say this. I realize a lot of people will not be able to make it. Um, but I do, want to, I do want to make a case really quickly. So on average, once every seven years, once every seven years that this happens, it's like five, six, five, nine. If you look at leap year, it's pretty crazy. We did the math. It breaks down to like once every seven years. And so we've never gotten to do it as, as an Origins family. It will be a low bar volunteer day. Like we're going to have chairs and that's it. And so we're going to have voices and chairs. We'll take communion because it's the last Sunday of the month. Um, we will not be able to gather on the 1st of January. We will be taking that Sunday off because they have something going on here that's apparently a huge party. And uh, we can't, um, you know, mess with that. So uh, we will have that Sunday off. But we're going to meet on Sunday, Christmas Day, at 10 a.m. So a little bit later. So you can still have your biscuits and gravy and sausage and Christmas ham, stuff like that, after, before, both, doesn't matter. Uh, but if you can make it, we would love for you to make it. Um, we're not going to call it short and sweet, but it, it is going to be. We're going to come in. We're going to sing some songs that are familiar Christmas songs. We're going to share the Christmas story. Um, there will not be like a, a full-on sermon. We're just going to read the story because that's all we really need to do because it's that good. Um, and we're going to have communion together, and then we're going to go. And so if you're in town and you can make it, we would love to see you. But if you're not, we totally understand. But we're going to do that. So today, um, it is the first Sunday of Advent, but we're going to continue to roll through Mark for this Sunday, next Sunday, and then we'll talk about good old Christmas stuff because it's a story worth telling. Uh, but today we are back in Mark chapter 12, uh, looking at verses 18 through 27. And so uh, Sarah was kind enough this morning to say, man, I'm kind of curious about this one because it's kind of thick. Um, and I'm like, well, thanks, Sarah. That makes me super excited. I feel like these last four weeks have been like those. They've been like oatmeal with not enough water. They've been thick. Um, you need a boat paddle to stir them, but that's okay. Uh, they're, they're fun, and we need to, to talk about them. I'm grateful that we are a part of a church where we're not skipping difficult passages. Um, if we ever did, you're, you're fully allowed to tell me, hey, why did you do that? And I will apologize and come back the next Sunday and, and probably just destroy it in the worst possible way. But we're not going to skip passages, so don't worry about that. Um, so we are here today. Uh, this is another in the line of someone coming to ask Jesus a question, but ill-intended questions. They didn't do it for good reason yet. Next week, maybe there's some good intention there, but this week, uh, this week basically, it's like, look, we're not trying to catch you to arrest you like we saw last week, um, but they're just trying to discredit Jesus. They're trying to ruin his authority um, because he's a threat to theirs. And so uh, we're going to look at several verses here. And today, like, I'll tell you my goal. Like, it would be easy for us to uh, turn this into an eschatological survey, which would mean an end times kind of a survey that would take months to unpack. We're going to mention a few things there in some of the thick stuff, Sarah. Um, but the goal for today is super incredibly practical, okay? And you may read this and be like, where does practical rest in this text? Man, hopefully we're going to land there, okay? Um, but let's pray, and, and then we'll jump in and read. And by the way, if I don't know you, I'm looking around. I think I know most of you. Some of you may not. I'm Matthew. Um, 
lead pastor here. Love this church, man. Love this family. Uh, and made it a point to be back here today because I, I don't like being away. And so that's just who I am. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for a time to celebrate and tell you thank you for family. Thank you for people that raised us and instilled in us what life looks like, what love looks like. I pray that we got to do that over the past several days across the table, uh, over lots of gravy and turkey and all of those things. Um, God, thank you for bringing us back to worship. Uh, Thank you for those who just led us in worship and the preparation they put in and the hearts that were attached. Um, And God, thank you that we get to celebrate communion today together as well. Uh, We love you dearly. Thank you for loving us more. And thank you for showing us what uh, we can possibly be uh, through you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So chapter 12, verse 18. Let's let's go ahead and read through this particular text. And then we'll come back and and talk about some new players that are entering the the scene and some things that, that they're trying to say. Chapter 12, verse 18. And the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife. When he died, he left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. The third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So, Let's, let's go ahead and throw out a couple things. Number one, probably the most blatant pieces of speech that we have from Jesus, okay? And again, he's addressing some incredibly religious people. They were kind of politico-religious in, in their affiliations, and we'll talk about them a little bit. But it's, it's pretty blatant. Like, and like I talked about, I do get a little giddy when Jesus confronts the, the super-religious, even though I should probably feel some guilt and some conviction because I can tend to be that way. I know, I know those are my, my tendencies, and I confess and repent of those frequently. Um, but this is one of those situations. And so there's a, there's a lot going on here. And uh, like I said, th- we could take this and use this as a springboard for months, but we're going to try to do it in 24 minutes. Um, I should turn my phone over now because I'll just, I'll just mess things up. So here we have a new, a new player comes on the scene, the Sadducees. Last week we talked about the Pharisees sent a couple people trying to catch Jesus in a lie, asking him about taxes. They sent some of their own, the Pharisees. They, they also sent some Herodians. Herodians, they were Jewish people that were incredibly loyal to Rome. They were far more political than they were religious. Today we have the Sadducees. They were also a part of the Sanhedrin, which were the kind of the collective of religious thought that actually led Israel. And uh, of the Sanhedrin, you kind of had, you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Essenes, and you had the Zealots. Those were the main four people that led religious thought during the day, and they were all just slightly different. Uh, of all of them, Jesus probably had more in common with the Pharisees, who he was frequently at odds with, than any of them. But the Sadducees, they were a bit different in, they were Jewish, honestly, by birth. They were also Jewish by religion, but they were also uh, linking themselves you know, to Rome as well, so much like, somewhat like the Herodians last week, except they were just a little more on the religious side. But here's the big difference. They took the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and those were the only ones they wanted. That's it. They didn't read the rest, and they were like, 
these are the five, the book of Moses, they called it, because for them, it was basically one big book. We divided it up into five. That's okay, but they called it the book of Moses, the writings of Moses. Those are the only ones they looked at. That was it. And as a result of that, their biggest differences were, and it even points it out here, the first thing is they didn't believe in the resurrection. Now, the resurrection is not just a New Testament idea. The resurrection pops up uh, in Daniel, in Isaiah, even as early as Genesis. There are some references to it. They denied it, but it was there. Um, But it was in the Old Testament. Obviously, in the New Testament, we see it on display in Jesus, like he was the first to be resurrected. And because of him, we also can be resurrected. And resurrected is not a metaphor. Resurrection is quite literal, to be brought from the dead bodily and to be raised from the dead. We see it happen in Jesus. We're promised that it will happen to us. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But these particular group of people, the Sadducees, they thought it was ridiculous. They were like, not possible, defies logic. We don't see it in our Bible, which is really small, and so we don't believe in it. The other thing that they most likely did not believe in to some degree was angels, which is funny because angels pop up several times in the Pentateuch. Uh, they're there. They, they give messages. There's angels of the Lord. There's other angels. There's, there's th- things like that, but they didn't believe in that. We find you know, kind of examples of that when Luke wrote Acts in chapter 4 and in chapter 23. You can check those out in which you know, the early church is encountering these people, and they're addressing some things. At one point, Paul's even addressing them to their face and saying, kind of like Jesus, here's why you're wrong. Here's how we're different in chapter 23 of Acts. And so these people, they come to Jesus, these Sadducees, don't believe in the resurrection, don't necessarily believe in angels, and they come to Jesus, not out of respect, but they're looking to damage his authority in this particular place and time. Um, And they wanted to ask him a question about a couple of things, but they were going to start with resurrection in a means or in an effort to discredit him. Their reason for discrediting him, very much like the Herodians and the Pharisees of last week, was because if Jesus was this Messiah that they had been waiting for, this deliverer, this Christ, um, then it meant that their authority, their power, their status quo, everything that they liked just right uh, was threatened. Because Jesus was this appropriate person that would come to rule, that would come to deliver, that would come to set the people free. And what they thought that meant, just like a lot of Jews of the day, and even some of the disciples, was that Jesus was going to be a political revolutionary. They thought that he was going to come to overthrow the government. They thought that he was going to come to topple Rome. They thought he was going to come to live a human flesh rebellion. And because of that, they were like, nope, can't happen. Uh, we, need, we need to put you under. And, and that was their goal. But they wanted to do it by damaging his authority because they saw if we damage his authority, we'll, we'll decrease his following. Rebellion can't happen. Win, 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 win for us. And so they come to him. And they toss out probably what would have existed as a riddle of the day, but was really probably a poke from the Sadducees to the Pharisees about marriage and the resurrection. And it was more a poke about the resurrection, but they used it. They used the law of Moses as a means to say the resurrection is ridiculous. How can you believe in this? Kind of crazy. This particular thing that they're using was probably a, a parallel or very similar to something that would have happened in an apocryphal writing, which was one of the writings that occurred between uh, the end of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, that they couldn't really land on who wrote it. They didn't know who wrote it, and that's the reason that it's not in our evangelical Bibles, a lot of reasons like that. But it was a story about, based on the law, like if a man marries a woman and, and he dies before they can yield offspring, then his brother needs to take her as his wife and give his dead brother offspring. And that was kind of mosaic understanding. I mean, that was from way back when. As a matter of fact, someone in Genesis died because they wouldn't do that. 
because they would not give his dead brother a son or a daughter uh, by going in with the wife. I mean, it's, it's pretty graphic. Well, it, it's really crazy, but that's the reason that Genesis can be really crazy. But either way, like this was an understanding, and it was family. It was lineage. It was also about the people of Israel growing, multiplying, subduing the earth, be fruitful, multiply. It was one of the ways that they did that. And so in this case, he says they come to him, the Sadducees, they go to Jesus, and they said, hey, teacher, again, not respectful, Rabbi. You know, again, a lot like last week when they just kind of came and they were like, we know you're good. We, you're awesome. We just want to ask you a question because we have so much respect for you. And Jesus is like, you're hypocrites. You're liars. Either way, same thing with these guys. They come to him. They're like, teacher, question, question, you know, Harry Carey. Um, they were like, Moses wrote for us that if a man marries a woman, he dies, brother should take her as his wife. He dies... Other brothers should take her as his wife. Sounds like seven brides for seven brothers, except not seven brides, just one. But, you know, either way, stories go down from generation to generation. And they get to the end of it. They're like, look, they, they all die, even the wife. And so in the resurrection, which we don't believe in, um, which one are they going to be married to in the resurrection? Here's what they were trying to do. Uh, number one, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They did believe in Mosaic standard and law. But they were basically hoping Jesus would... Uh, you know, authorized polygamy, because at this time, polygamy was wrong, okay? Having multiple wives, wrong by this stage. Early on, that standard wasn't there, but it had grown, and so they were basically hoping that Jesus might say something like, well, you know, this woman, she's going to be married to all of them in the resurrection, and so if, if they could get Jesus to say that, then he would be endorsing polygamy, and his authority would, would go down the tank, and they would win, so to speak. That's what they thought would happen, and so Jesus' response I do, like, I, I really do love Jesus' response. He was like, let me see. Let, let, me, let me ask you this. Are you wrong because of A or wrong because of B or both? And so he basically said, are you wrong because you're ignorant of the Scriptures or B because you don't understand the power of God? Is it, is it one of those? Or is it kind of both? So I don't know that he said it with the tone that I would say it. You know, I would probably get a little bit lippy, you know, a little bit, diva-ish. Jesus may have said it calmly. He may have said it with his ankle up on his knee and just kind of sitting back relaxed. I don't know. We can't read tone. That's the reason texts are dangerous. But either way, he does. He's like, or which reason? Which, let's, let's pick A or B. Which reason are you wrong? Ignorant or you just don't know, which is still ignorant. Ignorant to Scripture, ignorant to the power of God. He said because of this. He said, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So a couple of things are happening here. Number one, passage is grossly misquoted and misunderstood. This is where a lot of people believe that when we die and we go to heaven, we become angels. Not what Jesus is saying. He's like, you're becoming like angels. We'll tackle that in just a minute. But he's also telling us something about the nature of what the resurrection is going to look like. He's telling us that the, re the nature of the resurrection is going to be totally different from what we are experiencing now. Right now, we are living uh, in earthly tones, in earthly hues, in earthly colors. But later, when we're resurrected, those earthly tones, those earthly hues, they are gone. The resurrection is new. We will be new. Our bodies will be new. Things are going to be completely different. And he's like, look, the way that things are going to occur in the resurrection, uh, they're not going to be like they were now because marriage is not going to be one of those things. We're not going to be yoked like that together. We're going to be all together. And so he's establishing this idea early on. And to be honest, like throughout the ages, people have problems with this. They're like, what? You're telling me I won't have my wife in the resurrection? Hey, I'm just going to tell you, you will not. I will not. But for the time that I am here on this earth, we are together. Till death do us part. 
until the resurrection. And so he's telling them that. And he's also confirming to them, even though they doubt it and even though they don't believe it, yep, resurrection, totally real. Totally real. Again, we look at Daniel. Uh, we can look at Daniel chapter 12. You can write these down. We're not going to go to all of them today. You can look at Isaiah 26. You can look at John 11. You can look at 1 Corinthians 15. You can look at tons of different places, and you can look at Jesus. The resurrection is real. And so he's confirming that for them, even though they have doubts. And he says, so let me tell you about the resurrection. Totally different. Marriage, not going to be a thing. We're all going to be together. New deal. Okay? So he answers that question because apparently they were ignorant then the second one, he answers in reverse order, and he's like, and as far as the dead being raised about the resurrection, have you not read? Now, this is funny that he does this, because again, the Sadducees, book of Moses was the only thing they read, only thing they held to, only thing they thought was true, authoritative, and in the book of Moses, that's the place that he picks to talk to them specifically about the resurrection being true and valid as proving the power of God. Like that he can actually raise people from the dead, give them newness in life, give them new bodies, give them new everything. Like he's like, have, you know, are you ignorant? Have you not read the book of Moses, the one that you hold so fast and true and dear to? He's like, because don't you remember in the book of Moses talking about Exodus chapter 3, he's like, do you remember the burning bush? Burning bush. You know, Moses is walking and then all of a sudden there's a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And there's a voice that bellows out from it, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. He's like, don't, don't you remember that? And then he quotes that one line from that particular passage, and he says this, because God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Here's the funny thing. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were dead. They had already passed at the time of Moses. They were dead generations ago. And God speaking to Moses in that place, he didn't say, I was. He didn't say, I will be. Even though I am was actually his name and his nomenclature, he was like, Currently, there is union, there is covenant, it is not ended, it will not end. There is covenant between Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Existed then, exists now, will always exist. And so he uses that, the things that they should have known, to say, you have a problem with the resurrection and the power of God. Have you not read the thing that you hold so dear to? God is the God of those who passed before you those who were in covenant relationship with me, still in covenant relationship with me. Their lives did not end. Why? Because they were resurrected. They have eternal life. They have not ended. And so he asked them, are you ignorant or you just not know about the power of God? And then he gives them a couple examples of what it looks like to know Scripture and also know the power of God. And then he even says in verse 27, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then just for one last little nail, you are quite wrong. He didn't say you're a little bit wrong. He was like, you're very wrong. You're entirely wrong. You are quite wrong. And so we read all of this, and like it does seem like a nice little, you know, a nice little head slap uh, to the back of the Sadducees, things like that. But for us, we read it, and we kind of ask the question, well, well what, do we, what do we do with this? Like, because it, it, to be honest, like all of Scripture is good for teaching, reproof, understanding, wisdom, all those kinds of things. But sometimes we read Scripture, and it's like, that's great information, it's great to learn about the Sadducees, and it's great to learn about how they were wrong, and it's great to see Jesus set them right, but what, what do we do with this particular passage? Well, the first thing, I think it does give us an understanding of what the resurrection is going to look like, you know, for us, because I think that there is, there's minimal information about what it's going to look like, and we're not going to chase every single passage in this place. Uh, I gave you a couple, and I'll tell, you, tell them again to you if you want to write those down and go look, um, but the first thing we do need to understand is, like, the resurrection, it, it is real. It's entirely real. Defies logic, should not make sense, should not happen. 
you know, by all earthly standards, by all man-made standards, by all flesh tones and hues, like the resurrection should not happen. And that's where the Sadducees were. They were like, this does not make sense, so it can't be real. Well, here's the thing we need to understand about the resurrection. It's not, it's not flesh. It's not human. It's not natural. It's completely supernatural, completely spirit-led, God-led, not of our own doing. It does not make sense. It does defy logic. It is not normal. But Scripture repeatedly, over and over, from Old Testament all the way through New, tells us that we will be resurrected. And resurrected, you know, just so we know, is not just we will live with God eternally in heaven, then on new earth, but it's also that we will get, like, new bodies, which, again, is crazy. This, this past week, uh, for some reason, Caleb and I were taking a faithful journey into, in Kentucky to Dollar General, of all places. And I'm not making, taking a shot at Dollar General or Kentucky, because we have a lot of those down here too, but Caleb in Kentucky associates Kentucky home with Dollar General, so he wanted to go. So we took off, we drove to Dollar General, and, and there's one like every, every five miles. And so um, we went, and somehow on the way, I think we drove past the cemetery, and he asked, was one of his grandparents buried there? It led to this long, crazy conversation about my preferences when I die. I know, very morbid with an 11-year-old, but, you know, we have these conversations. It's just natural. And, and I talked to him about my preferences, and, and he was like, well, that's crazy. I'm like, well, man, I'm not going to be there. It doesn't matter what you do with my body, and I'm not giving you a, a soapbox to stand on. And he said, yeah, you'll be in heaven, and you won't have a limp anymore. I'm like, thanks, buddy. That's <laughs> awesome. But he's entirely correct. Like, ultimately, I will be. I will be with God, and according to Scripture, I will get a new body. My leg will be completely new, not just healed, not just fixed, but new. There will be no limp anymore. I will not battle sin. I will not battle depression. I will not battle anxiety. It will be gone. This stuff that has held me back and hindered me as a means of sanctification will be no more. Sanctification, set-apartness, will be complete. And for those of us who are bound to God, that is what the resurrection means. That is the hope that we have in that. That, that all of these things that we fought as a means to make us more like Jesus, to unify him through suffering and through anger and through all of these things that points us to his hope, all of those things will be gone. He says we will have a new body in a new place and a new purpose. It will no longer be fighting. It will be agreeing with the glory of God and it will be perfect. Sadducees didn't think that it could happen, but Jesus is taking this opportunity to say, yes, it can happen and it will happen for those who are bound to God through Jesus. For us as believers and followers of Jesus, we need to understand that this is the hope that awaits. It's not a, uh, it's not a, a, a motivation to know God, but it is a reward of being linked to God for eternity. That once we know him, we know him forever and ever. And when our life here is done, we will be with him and everything will be just right. That's what he started with Jesus, was this reconciling us to him bit by bit, one person at a time, one miracle at a time, one soul at a time, through culminating at the cross when all people have the opportunity to know and respond to the truth and the goodness of God that we call the gospel, so that we may be resurrected with Jesus, which he led the way in doing. We saw him fight sin, beat sin, fight death, beat death, rise anew. The holes were no longer there. He was healed. And then he went back to where he should have always been. And he said, you will follow me. You will follow me. Now, here's the, the points that we, we may disagree on, but it's simply irrelevant. Does it happen the moment that we die? Or does it happen at Christ's return? 
Scripture, to be honest, the more I read it, I do feel like it will happen at Christ's return when our bodies will meet him in the air. Those are the words that are used. But to us, it really doesn't matter. It will be like the blink of an eye. If it happens the moment that we die, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. If it's like that, or if it's like when he comes back, ultimately victoriously and gloriously, it doesn't matter. It's just like when you, like the best example, if, if you've ever had surgery, when the moment that they say count backwards from 10, you get to 8, the next thing you know, you wake up and you're in recovery asking for ice chips. It's that fast. It's that fast. And for us, if it's at Jesus' return or if it's at the moment of death, it will not matter. Ultimately, we will be with him. New, fixed, but not a better version, but like a brand new version. Will I look the same as I look now? No idea. Will I have the same accent? No clue. But whatever I have, new body, new voice, new spirit, spirit's going to be eternal, sorry. Uh, Whatever I have, it's going to be right. It's going to be just right. Just right. Because we get to be like Jesus. He led the way. Uh, He was that new Adam, the one that we get to follow, not the one that failed, according to Scripture. And so the resurrection is real. Um, Yeah, thanks, Caleb, for the no more limp. And he he wasn't a jab. It was just really, really funny. He's like, Dad, you won't even have a limp anymore. I'm like, thanks, buddy. No, I won't. That's awesome. But he understands, like he's getting it. And that that makes me as a dad and as a pastor super, super happy. So the resurrection is real. Uh, The other thing, too, it does inform us a little bit about what this resurrection is going to look like, like the things that we, maybe that we hold so dear here might not be the things that we hold so dear there. Like marriage is important. God uses marriage to make us look more like Jesus. But ultimately, that's not going to be an issue anymore at the resurrection because we're going to be completely like Jesus other than deity. And it says they're going to be like the angels. And what that means is you're not going to have wings. You're not going to be fluttering around from cloud to cloud, but you're going to be like angels in existence. Angels were created to exist forever with God, locationally, geographically with him. And they could stand up to it. They could deal with it. Like we will be like the angels in that way, but we will not be angels. Okay, when, you're, when your relatives die who knew Jesus, they do not go to heaven and they don't get wings and they're not looking over your shoulder at all times. That's just simply not true. There's nowhere in Scripture that testifies to that, and this passage does not either. It says we're going to be like angels from a a physical kind of a standpoint, locationally and meant to last forever with new bodies in that place. And so that's the first thing that I think we take from that. The resurrection's real. What does it look like? Now, again, we could chase a lot. And again, if you want to write down those passages, Isaiah 26, Daniel chapter 12, John 11, 1 Corinthians 15. Write those down. Take a look at those. 1 Corinthians 15, a lot there. Um, but from a New Testament perspective, very, very rich, very, very deep. And it basically says if Jesus' resurrection wasn't real, we have no reason to hope, but it was real, so we do have reason for hope, and we get to follow him. So that's the first thing. Second thing, where I want to spend the next, next several minutes, and this sounds so simple, and I don't mean it to be trite and cliche, but we don't need to be like the Sadducees. We don't need to be like the Sadducees. What did he ask them? When they come to him and ask the question, they're asking the question to try to damage his authority, to try to ruin his influence. But what does he say? He's like, um, let me ask, why are you wrong? Are you wrong because you're ignorant or are you wrong because you're ignorant? I mean, that was basically what he said. Ignorant of Scripture or ignorant of the power of God? And I know that sounds incredibly cruel, but they were, and they were willfully willfully ignorant because they took parts of the Bible, parts of the Holy Scripture, but they wanted to ignore the rest because it did not meet their narrative. So they're like, we don't 
wanted. As a matter of fact, they probably even changed part of the Apocrypha, I mean, part of the, part of the Pentateuch to make it match theirs just to a degree, bit by bit. But he was like, why are you ignorant? Is it A, is it B, but you're still ignorant. We don't need to be like the Sadducees. We don't have an excuse to be ignorant of Scripture. We don't. Like for us, we have it packaged between leather or between buffalo skin, or between paper. We have it packaged digitally that we can pick it up and read it. We can have people read it to us in any accent that you want, uh, in any language almost spoken in the modern world that you want. We don't have the excuse anymore to be ignorant to Scripture. We can't be like the Sadducees anymore. And so today, this is the practical things that I wanted to do. I think a lot of times we say, uh, go read your Bible. But I understand reading your Bible may be daunting. I get it. Uh, I've been to school. I've been to Bible college. I've done those things. I've taken classes. I've sat under incredibly brilliant people that are far smarter than I am with far more letters after their name than I, than I have. And so I've been, I'm blessed. I'm richly blessed. And so therefore I know how to study things. And I can't assume that everyone else knows how to study things. And so started just thinking through what are some things that we need to, uh, to give you as tools or to point you in the direction of tools that you can use. And I'll go ahead and say anything that I show or share today that costs money, if you can't afford it, if literally and legitimately you can't afford it, I will buy it for you this week if you want it and you're going to use it. And, and I'm just telling you that now. So you just ask me, you shoot me a text, you shoot me an email, say, look, I, I can't afford that right now, but I want it. I'll say, hey, okay, uh, what's your address? And I'll have Amazon get it to your door, prime fast, um, or somebody else. But either way, I think the first thing that we need, believe it or not, is a, is a Bible and one that's readable, okay? And so not knocking King James. If you speak Old English and King James makes sense to you, if that's the language that you spoke since the time that you were in a diaper, crawling around, spitting up on the floor, fine by me. Not me, okay? Doesn't work for me. And actually, from a translational standpoint, not trying to make enemies, but we have better English translations now based on discoveries from the 20th century. We can go back and look at some things. And it may mean that your King James Bible has things written in it that my modern ESV Bible doesn't have written in it. Does it change the truth of God? No, but it puts things in their proper place. Anyway, we won't have that argument today. But as far as translations go, modern English translations that work. ESV, probably my favorite you know, just out of habit, but there's great ones. The CSB is incredibly good. The NASB is incredibly good. We've got these up here. The New Living Translation that I reference quite frequently. I love it to death, especially for the Old Testament, the way that it tells a story, the language that it uses, NIV. Those are all great. Okay, if you have a question about a translation that you are looking at, man, ask your community group leader first. If they don't have an answer, they'll run it up the flagpole and we'll get back to you. Okay, but modern English translations, there are tons of good ones out there. There's no excuse not to have a readable, understandable, quotable, memorizable, if that's a word, uh, Bible in your possession now. If you can't afford it, we'll buy one for you. I might not buy heirloom quality leather, but I will buy you a Bible. As a matter of fact, we have them back on the table. You can take one, make it yours, write all over it as long as you don't cross things out. And so there's that. So the first is a good Bible. If you need help getting one of those, let me know. The second thing that I would say that you should acquire if you're trying to really learn and you're struggling that is a big Bible, okay? Now, there are classes of Bibles, all right? This uh, is a study Bible, and we have to be careful when we buy study Bibles because most of them are going to contain um, commentary. And commentary literally is commentary, someone commenting on what is being said. Uh, this is my favorite because it's commentary light and factual heavy. 
And so they give more reference and more background than they do commentary. This is the ESV study Bible put out by Crossway. Uh, we give this when people get baptized if they're grown-ups. Um, we do things like that. If people need it, we give it to them. But you read this, and then at the bottom, it has things. It gives you information. It has maps. It has charts. It has everything that makes type A people go nuts. And, and it's beautiful. But at the same time, it has a, a really good concordance in the back. So if you're struggling to remember, you're like, man, I know that there's a verse that mentions the resurrection, but I can't remember what it is. You thumb through the back. You look up R. It's in alphabetical order. Believe that or not. And you find resurrection. And then there's all the verses that mention that transliterated into English. And so you can go and look. Super useful. Very, very useful. If you want one of these and cannot afford one, I'll buy you a hardback or a paperback. Either way, really good. Probably don't carry it every Sunday because you'll get carpal tunnel, um, but it can be incredibly useful. Uh, there are other really, really good um, study Bibles out there. Some of them don't look that thick. Uh, this is one of my favorites that, that I've used in the past year, and it, you're like, man, there's not extra stuff in there. There's not, but there's an app that goes with it, and you scan the page, and it pops up with all this beautiful information. Uh, this is a New Living Translation uh, by Tyndale, and it has an app called Filament, and you scan the, the page number at the top, and it pulls up that page number with tons of information. Also, the New Living Translation, it is beautiful. It is translated very, very well. Word for word accuracy may be a little low. Idea for idea is actually really good. And so great Bible as an accessory if you have an essentially literal ESV, NASB, H -H HCB, all of those. There's different categories. We, we won't get into all that. Have one that you read. Uh, I remember my first class um, when, I, when I hit the reset button on my undergrad and went to Bible college, uh, had a guy named Joel Williams, and he had this strong Wisconsin accent. And he was talking about, today we're going to talk about how the Bible got in your book bag. And he gave a history of Bible translations. And at the very end of it, he was like, at the end of the day, what you need to decide is which is the best Bible. Everybody always asks me, which is the best Bible? Uh, and he said, the best Bible is the one you read. So incredibly true. <laughs> the best Bible is the one that you read, unless it's bad. But if you think it may be bad, come and ask us, and I will tell you. Chances are, if it's a modern English endorsed Bible translation, it's probably pretty good. But the best one is the one that you're going to read. So find one that you can read. I love this one. We've given this one out. We've given these out. Really, really good. Uh, the next thing that I would say that would be super useful for you, for me, for all of us, and I use it, is a reading plan. Believe it or not, just a reading plan. My favorite, and I've taught people how to do this, and I'll continue to teach people how to do it because it's been life-altering and spiritually transformative for me, is the SOAP method. And it stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. And, and I love that. You can buy a SOAP journal here. They're like seven bucks. Again, you can't afford one. Uh, one will be provided for you. It's kind of like your Miranda rights. Like, we can, we can take care of that. Come January, we'll have a stack on the table. Uh, I wouldn't say wait until then, but it also has a way to read the Bible in a given year. Don't let that kill you or destroy you. If you only choose to read five days a week and that's what you can do, make it a repeatable goal. Don't say, I'm going to read the Bible two hours a day because you will not. You will stop after day one. Say, look, I'm going to spend 15 minutes a day if you don't have a rhythm already. And do that. This has a great way to do that. And it's not going to make you get hampered down with all the details. You're looking for that one thing. You pray. God, show me that one thing I need to hear, I need to think differently on, I need to change my mind on, or you need to change my heart on. And that's the S, that's the scripture. You write it down. The O is observation. You write down what's going on there. Why does it jump out to you? What's going on? The A is application. What do you need to do as a result? It's an acronym. Each one stands for something. P is prayer. You pray that application. 
and then you have a journal that you can go back and look at. You can call it a workbook if it makes you feel more manly, but I've got a journal, and I like them. Um, and so uh, you figure out how to do it by buying one of their journals, and then you just buy a, a bear journal with nothing in it, and you figure out how to do it. You use their reading plan. You cut it out. You glue it in there. You just keep going. It's amazing, like miracles of modern-day stuff that's called glue. And so that's a super good one. If you need another reading plan, we can point you in a direction, but that one's really, really good, and I like that a lot. Um, there's some other things that you, you probably will never buy one of these, but, man, I, I nerd out over this. It's called the IVP. It's just Bible background. There's one for the Old Testament, one for the New Testament. Didn't bring bro- both. I've given this one away too. And it just basically tells you what's behind the passages that you're reading. Or maybe you go and you look up a couple chapters, and it tells you what's going on there. Like, it may mention women and long hair, and you're like, I don't understand. I like long hair, but what does the Bible think about that? This will tell you what's the background on women and long hair. What does it mean? And I know you think that's a weird example, but there's some contextual things that are pretty awesome. But either way, your head coverings, things like that, it tells you. Like, it's not going to tell you what to think or how to interpret a passage, but it's going to give you the information that you need to get your wheels turning and help you figure out what is being said. Very similar to the footnotes in a study Bible, but a little more in-depth. Really like that one a lot, but there's a ton of other like study resources that you can buy that are similar to this that are going to give you background uh, that are, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a big commentary fan, like I'm, I'm super commentary-like because if you pick up three commentaries, they'll say three different things about the same passage, but there are some that are trustworthy. Again, if you want to ask my opinion, I will share that with you, but these are a little bit different. They give background that help you become a commentary. Let God work through you with the things that you know, the things that you can learn to help you interpret Scripture on your own without being spoon-fed. So I love those. Um, there's another thing that's super easy, super useful, and it's actually called the Bible app, believe it or not. Um, like I've got it right here. It says the Holy Bible. I can pull up like one of 750 different translations. Multiple translations sometimes help us understand what Scripture's saying. It has reading plans. It has accountability stuff. It gives you gold stars, you know, for logging in multiple times and multiple days in a row. It makes you feel really good, even if you just read the verse of the day, which you can pop on your home screen. Hey, it's a great place to start if you don't have a rhythm. Regular, repeated exposure to Scripture is a good idea. Find ways to do that. This is one way to do that. Uh, You can copy and paste, put it on social media, make it all artsy, make people go, oh, you're so creative. They did it for you. Either way, it's okay. You posted it. So, and if you didn't post it, it didn't happen. But it's, it's really good and super useful. That was humor. Most people laugh at it. And so the YouVersion app is really good. There's a ton, ton of others that are out there. Again, there's the Filament app that goes with this particular Bible. So those are good. Um, man, I love this one like crazy. I don't know where this bag came from, but it came out of our cabinet. I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. Man, it's my jam. Like, extra biblical, okay, which means it's not the Bible, but it recounts Jesus' stories. And to be honest, it's rare that I make it through a single story without crying. Neil Culler can attest to that because he does the same thing since having kids. And that's okay because every story from Old Testament to New always points towards the necessity of Jesus and draws this beautiful parallel between why we must have Jesus. Like it tells us, you must have Jesus for this reason. What did Moses say? You got to have Jesus. What did, what did Joshua do? You got to have Jesus. But it does a great way and it uses amazing language. Like I could probably open up to anything. It says, so he pulled out all the stops. He sent an angel to tell Mary the good news. He put a special star in the sky to show where his boy was and now he was going to send a big choir of angels to sing his happy song to his world he's here he's come go and see him my little boy see i'll cry right now i love it i love it it's so good your kids need to hear it but i'll tell you this if you're an adult and you don't know the big redemptive story of jesus buy this and read it cover to cover 
you will get the redemptive story of Jesus. Read it to your family. Read it to your friends. Read it to yourself. Go on YouTube. They'll read it to you and show great pictures. Um, a guy named Yago illustrated it, and the pictures are, are crazy. Like, I love everything about it. Buy that. They're like $7 on Amazon. Super good. Um, man, there's, this is a, another great resource. Pass this one around a lot. It's rare that I recommend a book for someone to read, but there's the, there's the cover of that right there. Um, David Platt, man, he's a great thinker. Um, he's trustworthy. Um, he's also incredibly passionate. All those things rolled into one it is an awesome combination. And this is, is a great resource for us as believers because we live in a culture um, that says Jesus is not the way. You can have Jesus, but you also need some other things. Scripture says something different, that we just need Jesus. And so this gives us ideas as to how to think about some pretty, pretty heavy topics. Um, the rich and poor collide, the gospel and poverty, um, the gospel and abortion, uh, the gospel and orphans and widows, the gospel and sex slavery, the gospel and marriage, the gospel and sexual morality, the gospel and ethnicity, the gospel and refugees, all of those pretty hot topic items, okay? And it tells us from a biblical stance where we need to think on these. And I'll be honest, like reading this, I, I've found no issues with this book. And that's rare for me to say. Um, but it's a great book. I trust it enough to give it to people and say you can read it and there's nothing there. It may offend the living mess out of you. It may very well offend the living mess out of you, uh, but it's based on truth. And sometimes the truth is incredibly offensive. And so that's a good one. Um, if you want to borrow this one, I think this is actually my wife's copy, so I can't loan that one to you, but if you want a copy, we'll get one for you. Uh, and I know several people in here have gone through that. Um, another thing that I will recommend, there's two podcasts that I've been listening to lately. And so I can, I can recommend, I know there's a ton of podcasts out there, uh, but one's called Bible Talk, put out by Nine Marks. Um, and basically Bible Talk just kind of, right now I think they're, they've got a podcast all the way through Joshua. And so they started in Genesis, like chapter by chapter. And some of them, to be honest, may take you a week to get through. That's okay, listen 10 minutes a day, get through it. But if there's a particular passage in between Genesis and Joshua that you struggle with or labor through, you can go and, and check this podcast out. You can find it and listen to some very bright bulbs on what they think about this. And it's not just one opinion. It's a couple opinions in a room, but they're all really, really trustworthy, good opinions. Um, and so that one's a pretty good one. like that one a lot. They do plan to go all the way through Scripture, but it's going to take several years to do that. So it'll be a great resource for years to come. The other one sounds crazy, uh, but it's called Ask Dr. E, uh, Dr. Michael Easley. Um, he, he's been a pastor for several years. He, he worked at Moody. Uh, he was the president of Moody. He's, he's a very, very intelligent guy. Um, biblically pretty conservative, and that's okay. Uh, so there's a few things that I'll listen to, and I'm like, ah, we're on the same page, but just in a different paragraph, um, but pretty good. And people basically just write in questions, and he takes 10 minutes to answer them. And so, like, the questions may be about marriage in heaven. Like, I saw that popped up a little while back. Um, you know, things like that. And so people just ask questions. They may ask questions about something that he said weeks ago, and his daughter does the podcast with him. She reads the question, and then he just answers them from a biblical standpoint. And, and he answers them pretty succinctly, so not a lot of fluff. And so that's a pretty good one, too. Those are both good listening material. Um, the goal of all of these, again, is regular repeated exposure to Scripture. Find whatever ways we need. It may not work for you to read for an hour a day, Okay. Uh, for most people, that, that doesn't work. Most people, life has become hectic. We've painted ourselves into crazy, busy corners, and, and there's, there's not a way to get out right now. But we can chip away a minute here, a minute there, five minutes here, five minutes there, and it add up to repeated, regular exposure to Scripture. Because, like for us, we can't be willfully ignorant of Scripture. And if we're choosing not to dive in, not to read, not to study, guess what that makes us? Willfully ignorant. 
And Jesus looked at the Sadducees. He was like, man, which way are you wrong? Is it, are you wrong because you're ignorant? You're choosing not to know. Or are you wrong because you're ignorant? You're choosing not to know. We can't be the same. We have so many options at our disposal to make sure that we're not ignorant, to make sure that we do know, to make sure that we can have truth from its original source. Like, take full advantage. Take full advantage. Um, and, and I'll, man, I'm not, I'm not here to toot our horn, but be here every Sunday. Be here every Sunday that you can, because I promise you, there will not be a single Sunday that we're going to preach from another book other than the Bible. We are not going to do it, okay? We're not going to preach from pop culture. Uh, we're not going to preach from even a great Christian book. We are preaching only and teaching only from the Bible every single week, and that may mean it takes us 14 to 15 months to get through the book of Mark, but we're going to get through it, and, and that's okay. I'll be honest, I've learned more. Like, I've been through Mark so many times. I've read through it so many times. But in the past year, I have learned truckloads of information about this one book and the rest of the Gospels because of the work and the time that we put into doing this super long series. Um, it's been incredibly good for me. So if it hasn't been good for you, sorry. But it's been great for me, and, and I'll take that. Uh, but be here every Sunday, as, su as often as you can, uh, and you'll hear from Scripture. Then go to community group, and you're going to hear it again. That's twice in the same week. I mean, bam, bam. And then if you have a conversation about it outside of that, that's three times. That's regular repeated exposure to Scripture. Imagine that. Wow, it's like somebody planned it that way. <laughs> Accident. It was, totally. But either way, it's just one more way. One more way. Uh, at the end of all of this, when resurrection occurs, you know, I don't think Jesus is going to, but I don't want him to ask me, why did you not know? Why are you wrong? I don't want the answer to be because I chose to be ignorant. I don't want that to ever be the answer. And so I need to choose to do the things that I need to do to know God best and fullest, not so that I can earn salvation, but because I already have it and because I want to live it out to its full potential. And my primary way of knowing God and his ways and the things that he wants for me are always going to start and end right here. Always. Sometimes I may need help. Sometimes I may need resources. That's okay, but it starts and it ends right here. I don't have an excuse to be ignorant anymore. I don't. I think sometimes people say, wow, I wish I would have lived in a time in which I could have walked with Jesus and been like one of the disciples. Yeah, part of me wishes that too, but to be honest, like just to, just to throw it out there, we have so much of God at, at our disposal right now in this time, in this place, thanks in part to terrible technology. I'm kidding about that. Uh, but thanks in part to that, like we can know so much and we have each other, which the spirit resides in all of us. We are the body of Christ. Take full advantage of all of it. Our resources, technology, each other, the things that he's learned, the things that you've learned, share it with each other, find worship in that. But we don't have an excuse to be ignorant anymore. So uh, I'm gonna pray and then uh, we're gonna take communion and have a song during that and I'll put my, my man bag down. Um, yeah. God, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Um, thank you for even words that seem heavy and thick, um, God, that are incredibly applicable. Um, God, I pray you for, uh, just point us to a place that we choose to know you better uh, through your word, through things that help us to know your word better, through each other who have spent time digging in your word. Um, and God, make us, just make us passionate for it. Make us hungry for it so that we can truly know you better, know your ways better, and share them with others. Uh, thank you for the time that we live in, that we have so many tools at our disposal. 
so many great thinkers that have come before us, that people that you have used to shape uh, how we think about doctrine and theology um, and the practicality of Scripture. Uh, God, I pray we would just take full advantage of those things. And Father, as we take communion, I pray that, uh, Father, we would do it from a, a heart place or a stance that you intend us to do in Scripture, uh, to remember what you've done, to remember uh, what you offer as a result of your gospel. And God, we remember you. We remember Jesus, um, what he did, what he said, how he came, how he left, and how he's coming back. Um, God, thank you for him and his example and the hope that he offers. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as, uh, as we have one more song, uh, our communion table is back there. It is open.